Welcome back in, everybody. It's another edition of the First in Orange podcast, Denver Post, Broncos reporters, Parker Gabriel here, Ryan McFadden there. Ryan, uh, happy Friday to you. It's NBA Finals fever, Nuggets fever around here, obviously. But what do you say? We'll talk a little Broncos, too. Yeah, sounds good. We've been, you know, we've been bouncing around between uh, being Broncos beat reporters and Nuggets beat reporters. But yeah, yeah. I'm getting excited to get back to talking about some football. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not, uh, don't have the, the, we don't have the humidity going on like, uh, like our guys down in South Beach covering <laughs> the Nuggets, but obviously, you know, follow them. Listen to the Nuggets Inc. podcast too. Excellent stuff over there, except for the random times when I end up on there stumbling over Peyton, Peyton, and Peyton. But, you know, beside the point, um, football wise, it's kind of funny. Rarely are the Broncos sort of the afterthought in Denver, but here we are. Um, it's an interesting time in the calendar, though. They just wrapped up OTAs, three weeks of OTAs yesterday, Ryan. Uh, have a mandatory minicamp three days next week. And then everybody uh, gets out of Dodge for, you know, six or seven weeks before training camp starts at the beginning of or at the end of July. So uh, we were over there yesterday, uh, watched practice. There's limitations on uh, the very secretive things that we can't say, can say, all of that. But I guess overall... We, we get through practice yesterday. We talked to Sean Payton, go back to the media room, uh, and suddenly the Broncos are signing Frank Clark. So let's just start there. Uh, did it take you by surprise? What, what did you make of of that signing for Denver? I say the timing took, took me about surprise, just, you know, coming back from watching practice, and then boom, that's, that's the first thing you see. Uh, yeah. But I think I like the move for Denver. This was something I, we, we, we've talked about previously about how the depth, in terms in terms of pass rush was kind of thin and now with Baron Brownie having orth- orthoscopic knee surgery early in the offseason his timeline is unclear they need they need more depth at that position and I think a guy like Frank Clark he's a proven winner two-time Super Bowl champ three-time po- pro bowler he has a, been do- a dominant player in post in the postseason I believe 13 and a half sacks and 17 um, career postseason games. So you look at that, this guy comes in as a quality starter. He's also has a lot of experience and you're bringing someone in, in the locker room that knows what it takes to win at the highest level. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of the move. And I think it's a move that they desperately needed um, to make, to address that need at, at pass rush. Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like a couple weeks ago, um, Sean Payton said, you know, there were still a couple of players. We're, we're still trying to add a couple of players. They had about 10 million in cap space. Uh, Frank Clark, I think will take up probably more than more than half of that. Probably the last major move of the off season. They have some flexibility where they could keep moving money around and pushing it out if they really felt like they needed to. But this, this feels like the last big ad um, of the off season. What's interesting about it is it was pretty, I thought it was, pretty clear I, I set out a couple weeks ago to write about a few guys who Denver you know could add if they were going to look to spend some of that money and it was funny because as you started I started to go through who was left and I had a hard time putting finding anybody except for defensive linemen and edge players because that just really feels like that's where their need is at clearly um, you know the Broncos were thinking along the same lines and and adding Frank Clark so yeah, it's uh, if they could get playoff Frank Clark for like 15 games in the regular season, that would help them actually maybe be in position to to you know be in the mix to get to the postseason themselves. Um, 
but yeah, he's he's a guy who's he's he's played a lot of football, obviously, and he's played a lot over the last four years in Kansas City. He's also, you know, he's had his he's had his fair share, maybe a little more than his fair share of trouble over the years. Um, you know, he got uh, he had a, a couple of uh, gun charges in 2021, I think, that ended up leading to a suspension last fall. Uh, had issues uh, coming out of Michigan was accused in a domestic violence incident, ended up pleading that down to a, a lower charge um, sort of around the time he was turning pro. So there is like, you know, obviously he's played a long time in the NFL. He's played a lot of games. He comes uh, with his, you know, share of issues in the past. But if he, obviously every player, it's their responsibility to not get in trouble. Um, if he does that and he provides some veteran presence and if he provides a little bit of, um you know, edge, no pun intended, given his position. But if he if he brings a hard edge and and plays the way he's capable of playing, you know, he can be a guy that gives gives Denver, oh, I mean, 35, 40 snaps a game, probably. Yeah. And yeah, and you hit you hit all the points there. I think if if he he has that he has that skill set to come in here to make an impact. And if they can get that type of guy, I think that would be huge. Cause then you're adding you have if and you have him. If Randy Gregory can stay healthy, then you add in the the return of Baron Browning when he when he gets back to fully healthy. That's that's a pretty solid group right there that you can work with, and that's a lot better than the depth they had going into the offseason, yeah. where it's like you are just filled with a bunch of unproven guys up front, and you kind of don't know what you're going to get from each one. So bringing in a guy, a veteran, and Frank Clark. And you just got to cross your fingers that, you know, someone like Randy Gregory, you know, can give you a lot of can can stay in a, can stay healthy. Baron Brownie could come come back and build off of a, a pretty solid uh, season in 2022. You put those three together. I think then you, up front you have Zach in addition to Zach Allen. You're making some progress up there. Now you're looking at, at an area, a front seven where you have so many concerns because yep. of. So, like, you don't know what to get out of each player. Now you have a few guys where you kind of know what you're going to get. I think that's going to be huge for Strong Payton and defensive coordinator Van Joseph in, in year one. Yeah, no doubt. And, and you know, the thing is, like, it just felt like they were a body short. I mean, it's it's easy to it's easy to kind of just do the back of the envelope math and say, you know, that they hurt, they hurt without Bradley Chubb after they traded him at the deadline last year. The pass rush went from being one of the best in the league – um, to be in one of the worst in the league in the second half of the season. That wasn't just Chubb. It was also that that was a span when Randy Gregory was hurt. So like you say, if you get Randy back and and you get some healthy play out of him at least and 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 Browning gets healthy and takes the next step, um, then, you know, if those things happen, which really like from a roster standpoint, like they, they were going to have to bank on those things happening anyways. Now it's no guarantee, but like, you know, you're paying Randy Gregory a lot of money um, he's got to play and be healthy and be an impact player. So if that happens now, I think you sort of like Zach Allen replaced Draymond Jones. They just didn't have, they hadn't sort of found a replacement for the snaps and role that the Sean Williams played. And even though like uh, Frank Clark, isn't exactly like a one-to-one replacement for Deshaun Williams, he's a veteran guy. He's a starting caliber player he, you know, he kind of checks some of those boxes that you weren't sure if young guys like Matt Henningsen and any Iwazurike would be able to fill right away at the start of their second year. So yeah, just a, another 
piece in the front seven for Vance Joseph to work with and a guy that, um, you know, will will be a popular interview request, obviously, once he gets here and uh, will be interested to learn more about. Um, and it sounds like it's a one-year deal, that's what we were told. And uh, it hasn't, as of Friday morning, hasn't officially been announced yet, but uh, one-year deal, ESPN reported, it's up to seven and a half million, five and a half base salary. So again, that that sort of takes up probably like, 60% or so of the cap space they had left, maybe a little bit less than that. Um, and you're starting Ryan to sort of see as we go into the mini camp next week, the, a, a fuller picture of what the starting point for this roster is going to look like as you get closer to training camp. Oh yeah, most definitely. But one thing that I, I, I want to ask you just after the Frank Clark, do you see, do you see any other moves taking place or like what other position you think this team may need to address as we go into mini camp and then training camp in the preseason? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there's a lot some scuttle yesterday, a little bit of buzz about Dalvin cook who, you know, we're expecting on Friday today to be sort of uh, officially released by uh, Minnesota. The Broncos are familiar with him obviously because George Payton, the general manager was in Minnesota um, when Dalvin cook got drafted there. They've got other personnel people that came from Minnesota with George um, Sean Payton coaching the NFC for a long time, knows all about him. I just, I don't, I don't know about you, Ryan. I don't see it happening. Um, I don't, I don't see how the need really fits. Now, if, if they weren't so confident and I asked Sean Payton about this again yesterday, like if they weren't as confident as they are in Javante Williams, and the track that he's on in his recovery, maybe it's a different story. Uh, but they've got Javante Williams, Samaje Pirine, uh, Tony Jones Jr., um, Tyler Beatty, and then and then um, Jaleel McLaughlin as the five backs on their roster right now. And they might continue to you know churn a couple of those spots or look at options or whatever. I just don't. I, I could be proven wrong, but I just don't see them getting in a free agency bidding war. Uh, for for Dalvin Cook at this point in the offseason. Yeah, I agree. Like as much as uh adding Dalvin Cook would just spice up would spice things up even more. It's just that you look at you look at the production Dalvin Cook Dalvin Cook has produced over the last few years. And there's I, I feel like there's no way the Broncos could afford it. And I feel like if you're going in a bidding war with other teams, they're gonna get they're probably easily gonna get outbid. Uh so yeah it's it's you would like to see you. Would, sure. I'm assuming Broncos fan would like to see Dalvin Cook in a Broncos uniform, uh, along with Javante Williams and Shamaji P. Ryan. I think that'd be a solid, you know, group to work with. But just I just don't see it happening as well. Uh, then also too, like you said, adding the factor of Javante Williams is you know he's he looked good during OTA. He's moving or he looked he moved. He was moving around really well. Obviously, things can be different when they put the pads on and. That's something to monitor as well, but he's like he's on the fast track, and I think that might not right that that idea of Javante Williams being on the fast track um, doesn't give them a reason to go all in on a Dalvin Cook and spend that much money on him. Yeah, and it really does seem I wrote this yesterday, but like it really does seem like their opinion of of where Javante Williams is tracking toward being around the beginning of the season has changed in over the last couple months uh, as he's progressed. Like part of signing Samaje Pirine was about not knowing. I mean, I think they liked his skill set. They thought he could be a good number two back and, and could handle starting duties for some amount of time and all that. Like I, I do believe that, but I think that part of the 
strategy for loading up on running backs was about not knowing where Javante Williams is. And and so it's no guarantee that he's going to roll out there week one and run over people like he was early last year before he got hurt. But given where he's at right now, I think they probably feel better about what the running back room looks like. And, and frankly, I think to sort of go back and answer your original question, Ryan, I, to me, it feels like that's sort of where they're at at this point in the offseason, right? Like, could they stand to add another defensive lineman? Yeah, I think even with the addition of Frank Clark, they could. Um, could they use a little more proven depth at offensive tackle? Yeah. Um, and there's probably some other positions where you could say the same thing. But I, at this point, it, they're probably getting close if they're not already there to like, okay, let's get through the mini camp. Let's get to training camp, see how the first week or so shakes out, and then go you know, back and sort of see what's remaining and what's available if you feel like you really need to address one of those positions. Oh, yeah, most definitely. I feel like I think the Frank Clark move is something – it's probably their last move we're going to see until we get to August and training camp. And and then Sean Payne can sit back and real, see, all right, this is what else we need. But, yeah, like I, I think depth at, off, at offensive tackle um, could be another move. And then obviously – Get to team to build up on that, build up on the defensive line. I think that that'd be a necessity for them as well. But I think at this point, um, I think it's best for them to kind of like evaluate. You got Frank Clark now. Let's evaluate what we have after that, after that move, and what do we need to do moving forward. And I, you won't be able to figure that out until these guys get in there for training camp, play a couple preseason games, and you can figure that stuff out. Yep. All right, so three weeks of OTAs in the books. We saw one day of practice each week. Uh, we'll be there three days uh, next week for the minicamp, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Ryan, obviously, you know, you only can take away so much when you're you're watching one out of three days and also when you're, you're the, the guys aren't in pads and it's it's mostly walk through half speed type of stuff. But what what do you feel like you know now about this team that maybe you didn't know? when OTA started or, or that you think, you know, they have a ton of wide receivers. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They that's have right. a yeah, ton of, they have a ton of wide receivers. Uh, that's, so that, that, that's one takeaway is there. That's including their key guys at Cortland, Judy and Tim Patrick. Uh, it was interesting to see kind of like seeing some solid reps from uh, one of the under the radar guys and Brandon Johnson. And I, it's, I think the, what we saw from him during OTAs, it'd be interesting to see how, that develops going to mini camp and training camp. So I would say keep an eye on, on that. Russell Wilson, uh, he mentioned it himself. He looks, he feels lean and mean, and he does look a lot slimmer compared to uh, the start of last season. So maybe, uh, you know, those hours in the gym, I think he's probably locked in and want to take full advantage of this new opportunity with Sean Payton. So I think that's a pretty strong development there with terms of starting quarterback. And I think, Obviously, we, we are touched on Javante Williams, so I'm not trying to get back into detail on that. Uh, Greg Dulcich as the Joker, I thought that was probably one yeah. of the biggest um, quotes um, from taking away from OTAs, given the fact, you know, with the Nuggets. Uh, so, and just what Sean Payne sees in his role in terms of being a guy that can just do multiple things on the field, which I think will be very huge for that offense. But one thing that we was able to see yesterday – uh, excuse me, on Thursday, that I thought that a lot of players talked about, but for us to get that firsthand experience was pretty cool, was Sean Payne being very detail-oriented. Yeah. So it was like that first, like the first hour or so of practice was like, you know, just straight 
going over a late game situation and working on late game situation, just watching him like be so attention to detail to every little thing throughout that whole process. Like the players have told us about how his practices are educational and he's very, uh, he's very into detail and making sure every little thing is perfect, but that's, you know, kind of see that in action. I thought that was pretty cool to see. And, you know, like, and I think stuff like that is going to be very beneficial for the team. Yeah, it's it's interesting, Ryan, and that's a good point. And we we wrote about that yesterday um, after we saw it, and it, it really was. I mean, it was like forty five minutes solid. One of the things that I find fascinating about um, sort of watching Sean Payton operate from afar uh, to this point in his tenure is there are a lot of coaches, and I think you know Nathaniel Hackett. Understandably, I'm not trying to like dump on the guy or anything last year as a first time head coach, like a lot of younger coaches, especially I think get into this um, mode where as soon as you can be on the field, they want to be on the field. And as soon as you can start installing the playbook, they want to install the playbook. And there's been, I'd say it's one of those sort of like breadcrumb things this off season that I've just found very interesting to sort of track and probably need to write more about at some point where like it started with, the fact that they weren't going to go right into phase two, that they stayed in the weight room and they they did the lifting and running for several weeks. I thought Mike McGlinchey made a really interesting point last week where he said, like, some coaches, as soon as you can be on the field, they want to be on the field because that's what they feel like they need to do. Get the playbook in, get the playbook in, you know, install, install, install. And Sean's really sort of, like, taken, I think, the approach of, like, that's your job as players off the field. Learn the playbook, master it when we're on the field, we got to figure out how to win games. Like you have no chance of winning games if you don't, you don't understand your assignment. So then it's about sort of like all of this other stuff. It's about the weight room. And then it's about two minute and late game scenarios and all of these sort of like detailed things. And of course, like an individual, they're going to go over how you block inside zone and outside zone and trap and all that stuff. But like, you know, that that's, that's what individuals for when, when you're out there and you have the whole team out there. And Sean made this point of like, you've got to learn how to win. And so I just think it's it's been very interesting to watch over the course of the offseason what he puts emphasis on because the things that he's really emphasized are are different than, you know, what I think you hear from young coaches especially and and a lot of coaches uh around the league at this time of year. Oh yeah, it's like it's you can tell just Sean Payne has just like the vibe like what he's brought in just changed the whole vibe, changing the player's mindset, changing the way, you know, they look at, they look at practices. And that's one thing, like all the players that was like, literally when you ask each player throughout these past three weeks, at OTAs, Oh, was, were your first impressions of Sean Payne? Were your first impression of Sean Payne? And they really talked about just the way he teaches the game and learning it. And it's like, you feel like, like, I think that's something they needed where it's like he's taking his time and you're showing them this is what when we go out there, we're going to try to be perfect. It's not I'm not trying to rush it. We're trying to make it as perfect as possible. So when we go out there on Sunday, it's like like leaving no stone, no stones unturned in a sense on on the field where it's like um, we're going to get it down to a T. So when this situation does come, we're going to be ready for it um, and we're going to be the best at it. So, yeah, this is like. That it's it's been really cool to kind of see that because people talk about it, but it's different when people say it. But then yeah. you know you you're actually seeing it, and like that, like you said, that that forty five minutes was like probably 
like you're sitting there just like it was pretty cool because like he it was like every little thing he was on and i was like yeah. wow this like you can tell like he's really trying to come in here uh and kind of really set the tone and what he expects and trying to make sure he puts the players in the best position possible i remember talking to um adam trotman or like a few weeks ago uh for a story and that's what he he said he did in new orleans is like yeah. He's going to tell you this is he's going to figure out what each guy is good at and like design the game plan to make you excel at that thing you're 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 good at. And that comes down to take. And I think a lot of that comes down to you taking time and figuring things out and not trying to rush things so quickly. And I think right. that's I think that's where you see Peyton's trying to do is like he just got here. You're just learning these guys. I think. One best way to do it is, you know, to slow the process and slowly um, progress just to figure out what can this player do yep. uh, specifically well that we can like that we can bank off of. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, you hear a lot of like, you know, whether they're former players or or, you know, people that have covered them for a long time or whatever, you hear a lot of like he's a. Uh, he's a perfectionist, he's a control freak, he's a maniac. And these things are like, I mean, sometimes probably as reporters, I'm sure we'll see the, uh, we'll see the other side of that coin too. And, and I'm players, no doubt will at times like he, he's not afraid to jump guys, but that's, um that's kind of the way he's been schooled, right. In the Bill Parcells uh, mold. And so, yeah, I mean, he, he's got his hands in everything. Um, he's, it's it is very much his his team uh and that even from a limited view i mean it doesn't take long to get that sense being around a, a practice here and there so uh it's interesting like so this is all voluntary otas all voluntary players you know we saw a few in and out we talked about baron browning um who was hurt he's the only guy and mike purcell didn't participate um in OTAs because of an injury situation, but um, Browning was the only guy who we didn't see over the course of the three weeks. And that obviously was an injury uh, situation as well. So the mini camp next week is mandatory, but it won't, it can't be that much different attendance wise because yesterday, every single player on the roster, except for Baron was out there. Uh, so it'll probably be basically more of the same. I think through the mini camp, uh, you get a little more, 11 on 11, you, you, you ramp up the sort of um, amount of team stuff that you can do on the field. But by and large, I think uh, our three days out there next week will probably feel similar to the past three weeks. Oh yeah, most definitely. And like you, you touched on attendance. I thought the attendance was strong yep. or during OTAs. He's like Baron Browning was like you said, the Baron, Baron Browning was the only guy that we didn't see at all uh, pretty much. And obviously Randy Gregory was there for first week, not there the second week, but he came back. He came back on on Thursday, so yeah, it's. I think we're going to see very much the same until I think we're going to see very much the same until we get to, until we get to training yeah. camp. Um, yep. uh, like I said, I think obviously it's going to be more of when when do we see Baron Browning? I think that's kind of the thing we have to you know we have to monitor moving forward. Yeah, and that'll definitely be a question for Sean on Tuesday, right? Like, is that a is that a situation that could hold him out into the regular season? Training camp, just from my understanding of it, the, the start of training camp may be a stretch. So uh, we'll see if they're thinking he might miss game time or or if he'll be back. And and so that he's obviously a key guy 
uh, for the Broncos. Might get a first look at Frank Clark in the blue and orange uh, next week. So, uh, yeah, never a shortage of things going on around here. (laughs) One thing I want to touch on before we go, actually, you wrote yesterday about Cortland Sutton. Uh, We talked to him for the first time this offseason. Two things I thought were interesting. One, obviously, he addressed the fact that he spent the entirety of the offseason, the subject of trade rumors. And then also, um, I thought the Michael Thomas stuff, uh, looking back to Thomas's days in New Orleans, was pretty interesting. Oh, yeah, it was pretty interesting. And like, I think uh, he was asked because he I think they said I were asked like him and Michael Thomas having kind of the same body type and just and they look at, uh, you know, look at his highlights. And he said specifically looked at that 2019 season where I believe he broke the NFL record for single season receptions. And just he went into detail just talking about like, yeah, um, how he ran around and how he did certain things. Uh, you know, to kind of help him get ready for the season. And I like I wrote about it, like uh, you mentioned that he was flattered to be that teams wanted him, uh, but Denver is home for him. And I think if I said if Denver gets an offer they can't refuse, then you kind of understand why they might yeah. have to move him during the summer. But when you look at they really I think they're better off just playing this out with Judy and Sutton. Um, and then you get Tim Patrick back to see what what does that group look like together on the field, you know, healthy and fully healthy. And I think he I still think he has a lot. He still has a lot of talent. He still has a lot of talent. He's been pretty durable over over these past two seasons, I believe, playing 31 games. Uh, he might not be the same Cortland Sunday we saw before he toured for his ACL in 2020, but he's still out there making plays and. He can be an impact guy in there. I think just seeing what they can do yep. in Sean Payton's offense is something that intrigues me. I think because he said it like it's a, it's a fresh start. You're bringing in a guy who's an offensive guru, a guy who has worked with some really talented wide receivers over his over his time in New Orleans. So I think that kind of gives makes me have a lot more optimism with that receiver room with Judy and Sutton. I'm actually looking forward to see if to see them this year and how they play with Russ and Sean running things. Yeah. Yeah. And then like you say, Tim Pat getting Tim Patrick back is big. Look like his activity level is a little higher uh, this week than even the past couple in OTAs. Maybe KJ Hamler uh, gets healthy from that pec injury. Obviously they drafted Marvin Mims. You got guys like Brandon Johnson, as you said, it's a crowded wide receiver room, something I'm sure uh, we'll write about at some point next week uh, during the mini camp. So we'll be back end of next week with um, another podcast. We'll wrap up uh, mini camp and sort of look ahead to the off season. It depends. Maybe Ryan, you know, I don't know if we'll be doing it, trying to do a podcast from a championship parade at some point next <laughs> week, or if people will be wallowing in their sorrows because uh, Denver blew a two one lead to Miami or what it will be. But we know for the next uh, 10 days, at least that the world still revolves around basketball. We figure we fit in a little bit of football this week for <laughs> the weekend hits. So that's Ryan McFadden. I'm Parker Gabriel, First and Orange Podcast. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week.